and welcome to Dot to Dot, the podcast that connects the dots on how to be you with me, Fiona Merton, psychologist and author. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Christine, who I have done various pieces of work with and who's been incredibly supportive and helpful to me. And I know that you have been to many other people as well. And that's why I thought it would be fantastic to hear a bit more about your story, your journey um, as a point of inspiration, but also as a way in which people can see their own path through by understanding the story of your path. So where do we start? Um, where do we start at the beginning? <laughs> start at childhood. Where where did you grow, where did you grow up, Chris? I, I I grew up in the in the northeast of England, so in a pretty little fishing town, not called Middlesbrough. You know, the heart of the steel industry, as it as it was, uh, in a very working class background. So um, my father was a policeman, and my mum was a housewife, and a very you know a very loving background. But we didn't have a lot of money. Um, I was one of, of two children, but my, my sibling was 10 years older than me. Um, so to be honest, I didn't have an awful lot to do with them at, at all. And, 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 and so, you know, in many ways could well have been an only one, mm. uh, from the point of how I grew up. And I think, I mean, my feeling is that, that, um, I was never, and, and still am not, innately bright. But I think I have, um, certainly I had then a, a bit of a determination that I'm going to make the best of, of the lot that's been dealt me. And so I worked like a dervish as a child um, at school. You know, I think I, I used to keep a, a log as a kid of how many hours I'd swatted, you know, and, and whether I could beat that week on week. And, you know, and it paid off. It, it paid off. So um, I got a place at grammar school. I, you know, I, I wasn't the brightest by any means at grammar school, um, as one of my teachers told me. But kind of- that made that made me more and more determined, you know, that kind of drove me on. And um, I, I got a, it, interestingly, again, because at grammar school, the kind of the better you did, the more you were pushed. <laughs> I was on this little rat wheel, really. Um, and um, I got, I got five A's at A level. You. And, and got the school prize. But, but Interestingly, I was almost excommunicated from the school because along with that, I got a place to study history at Oxford. And and again, you know, neither my mum and dad had any education and all they kept saying to me was, you know, well, will this make you happy? And um, I remember going to the school careers teacher who was actually the geography teacher, but she kind of did careers in a lunch hour, you know, and, and saying, what will I do when I've got a degree in history? And she said, oh, you'll be a librarian. And I thought, I don't want to be a librarian. You know, no way. I, you know, I mean, I, I was very much into people rather than things and certainly not silence. And, and I thought, I don't want to do that. So I, I rebelled and I didn't go to Oxford, which led to a bit of a skirmish because everybody said, well, what are you going to do? And, um, my mum and dad said, why don't you just get a job? And I said, no, I don't, I don't think I want to get a job. I want to, I want to do something. 
And I decided I wanted to do something with food because that seemed it was something I was interested in. And it seemed to be something where women could get on. That was one of the things that I thought. Um, and so I managed to blag my way. I couldn't go into any of the top universities doing food science because I hadn't got science A levels. I'd done geography, geology, history, Latin, economics. You know, I mean, I'd done all the kind of erudite things, but nothing very practical. I'd done science at O level. Um, I managed to blag my way into a place at Newcastle University to do, of all things, home economics, which I'd never done at school. Um, but I thought, well, it's kind of foodie. It's kind of foodie. And I got a place on the, <laughs> on the guarantee that during my first year at uni, I would take chemistry, biology and physics A-levels because that was a requirement to get in. Wow. Um, and I did. And wow. I got... So you've actually got eight A-levels. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. And, um, I suppose, I mean, it kind of, it kind of rolled on from there. So I finished, I did a four year, it was a B.Ed. degree. Can I just go back a little bit? So you say that you looked at food and clearly your parents were loving and supportive and they wanted you to be happy, which is music to my ears, because I just think that's, that's how a child should be brought up. My opinion perhaps isn't always, you know, universally correct, but you also said that um, the food industry, you saw that that was somewhere that women could get ahead. What what was your thinking there and what, what were your insights and where did that come from? Well, it, it was interesting because you know, one of the things when I was exploring what I could do with history, one of the things that I alighted on was because I suppose because dad was a policeman, I was kind of quite interested in law. And so um, the nearest thing I had to anybody academic, I had an, an uncle who was actually the, the head of a teacher training college in the Midlands. And, and I went down to see him and I said, look, do you think I could do law? Because that's kind of sort of related. And I'm quite interested in that. And he said, no, 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 girls don't do law. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't think, you know, you work hard, but I don't think you're that bright. So no, you can't do law. I think you should do something more related. So that, I just took that as gospel. And I suppose I looked at the industries. I mean, it was quite calculating. I had a little, a little matrix and I kind of, you know, worked through everything. And I thought, look, the food industry, there's a lot of women in the food industry and people are never going to go off food. And, and, you know, I really wanted to do food science, which I've, I've since got a master's degree and in, but clearly I couldn't because I hadn't got the A-level. So I thought, well, how do I, how do I get in? How do I open the door? Um, and I mean, I had a great deal of fun at Newcastle. You know, I, I was probably the worst student in all the practical groups because they all went and they could all cook. And, you know, I remember one funny incident where we had a class, you know, it was all very formal. Um, I mean, we're talking quite a long time ago because I'm quite old. And um, it was all very formal. And we had a class on gelatin desserts. Now, everybody there had kind of A-level Hermec and knew what to do with this funny white powder that you got in a packet. I, I didn't, so I put it in the recipe, you know. And it came to the end of the class and it was your kind of turn out your, your moulds, dear, you know. And I had a cucumber mould and, and as I took it out the fridge, it was dribbling and I thought, this isn't going to. And, and the lecturer said, you know, Miss Metcalf, that was my name then, Miss Metcalf, will you turn out your... And I was trying to say, it hasn't set will you just turn out your mood? So I turned it out and he just ran down the front of her. <laughs> Excellent. I love that. 
<laughs> I was probably, you know, an absolute nightmare as a student. But anyway, I um, I managed to graduate um, with distinction and, and didn't kill anybody. And, you know, that is, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that how much so you you're a bright determined child very thoughtful in how you planned what was happening and you and yet you took like you said in your own word as gospel that you were told well girls don't do that or that you'd become a librarian and what my reflection is on that is how important it is that we think before we say things to young people as advice, because this is this is you who's got eight A levels. Yeah, yeah. I could, have been, I could have been a top lawyer, <laughs> but you know it's crazy, isn't it? In that sense, yeah. it's it's not because you've had the life and the path you've had, but little comments to children can have or young people have a massively, massively impactful effect and I think we need to always bear that in mind the yeah. weight of that yeah I think that's very true and 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 that's led I mean you know clearly I, I went into education for a while um and and although I didn't stay in it uh, through choice I now do an awful lot of work with young people um and 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 you you're absolutely right you you've you've got to take your words out and look at them because they they will accept at certain periods of their life you know we all know about very young children but at certain periods of their life particularly when they're they're faced with big decisions um you you can you can push them in one direction or another so anyway it, it kind of it, it it kind of worked out worked out okay you know heaven heaven knows you know I would have probably gone to Oxford and flopped as a lawyer. I got chucked out or whatever. But um, I think that would have happened. I, I taught for a, a, a couple of years. I, I was I was lucky, really, in that I got a job in a what was that the high schools then, which were the kind of sixth form colleges that spun out of grammar schools, and 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 I, I quite enjoyed that. I mean, in, in a perverse kind of way. I knew I didn't want to do it forever, but but I quite enjoyed it. And then um, at when I was at university, there was there was one guy. It was quite interesting that there were no women role models that I aspired to. That they were mainly, again, because of the subject matter, they were mainly spinsters. They were they were quite kind of pedantic, and 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 I didn't particularly relate to any of them. But there was one guy who um, I suppose saw something in me that that I didn't see in myself, and and he used to push me and set me extra assignments and all sorts of things. Anyway, I'd been teaching for, I left and I'd been teaching for only about a year. And he contacted me and he'd moved. He'd actually moved to Edinburgh University in a, in a vice chancellor role. Um, and he said, I want to recruit you. I want to recruit you as a junior lecturer. And I said, yeah, I've never been to Edinburgh. <laughs> and and I, 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 I took a chance and I just up sticks and went to Edinburgh. And um, again, he pushed and pushed and pushed me. And, and I got to a, a, a senior lecturer there. Um, and then he was the one who said, look, you know, um, you should really get a second degree. You're not gonna go any higher unless you get that. Um, and I found out that, in, and, and I thought I can't afford to take time off to do a second degree. Um, 
But I found out that at that point, I don't know whether it's still true, in the English educational system, if you'd worked for four years, you could have a sabbatical on full pay. And so I got a job as a senior lecturer at Bath University and, and I moved into the English system. You couldn't do that in the Scottish system. I moved to the English system, worked my four years, took a year off and did a two year master's degree in a year. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I, just, it's, it, I think it's fantastic. Well, A-levels, a you get recruited to, by the vice chancellor, he's not just some, some person, <laughs> the vice chancellor of Edinburgh University. Edinburgh, one of the, the best universities. Um, and he pulled you in and then again, you're looking for your way through, aren't you? Because you're saying, okay, there are blockers here. There are things in the way, there are obstacles whether that's financial or being a woman or and I will find the way through them and you did you found your way through it and, and I think you have and I suppose I suppose I've always said if there's one blocker I don't think anybody can get their way around you know if, if your health lets you down that that's a real blocker but you know I've always said if you're healthy you can do anything you know you you just just apply yourself um so I did my master's, I came back, I became course director of, of a course at Bath University. And, and it, in the interim, I'd set up, because I was always interested in things commercial, and I'd set up an industrial consultancy group at the university, and we were doing work for the likes of Marks and Spencer on product development and lots of different companies. And I thought, you know, I thought, I really like this. I actually like this better than you know, the academic stuff. Um, and, and lo and behold, again, I got approached by Tesco, who we, we pitched to do some work for, and they'd turned us down. And they then approached me and said, we'd actually like to recruit you. Um, and everybody said I was bonkers, because by then I was kind of en route to being a prof. And they said, you know, you, you, what, do you, what, what do you want to move out of academia into a horrible place like Tesco for? And I said, well, I don't know. I, you know, that just seems to me like, like an option. So I moved across and I, first of all, became consumer services director and then technical director at Tesco. Um, and that was just, that was just fascinating because that was in the late 80s and I was literally the only woman and it was quite a macho, a macho culture. Um, a funny story there, because I was, um, I, I'd got married in the interim and um, we just bought a house, so we couldn't afford to move because we were doing the house up. So I moved over to Hertfordshire and left my husband, um, who also worked at the university, at the university. And um, so I was, I was kind of fair cop in this macho world. And there was, there was one guy who made a play for uh, women's staff. And, and despite all of the discouragement, one day I came in, he was the, um, he was the produce director. And one day I came in and he'd filled my office with flowers. So I thought, what are we going to do here? If I'm kind of do anything like reporting him, this is career limiting, you know. Mm. Um, but I can't let this kind of carry on. He knew I was married. That you know, This is absolutely ridiculous. So um, I called in a few favours and I filled his office with lard. And I never heard from him again. <laughs> That's fabulous. I love that. So that was um, 
that was great. And I, and I had a I had a fantastic. I worked for Tesco for for sixteen years, but but again, kind of a you know, I got to head of technical, and I thought, well, where is there to go from here? That you can't really go any further. I wanted to go into commercial, and again, I I looked to. I looked to a man actually to to support me. So my then head was the commercial director, technical reported into commercial. And I said to him, look, I really want to move across to commercial. And he trusted me and he gave me non-food commercial to look after, um, which was a huge gamble, you know, on his part, because I'd never done anything like that before. I mean, I was a foodie. Um, and, and I got all of the home and wear stores and and all sorts of horrible things to look after but but it, but again you know it was it was a real opportunity to get onto that next onto that next rung and I ended up um heading up global sourcing and uh, and going to China and working out of China for a while um and then heading up international M&A and I mean it was just it was just that people people trusted no, they didn't want that they trusted me. They gave me an opportunity. And I was so determined I wasn't going to let anybody down that, that I just kind of worked my way through that, that opportunity. And I, I wasn't I wasn't the best in the organization by by any means, but I, you know. Um, if you put those things together, and if you were to look at um, so I know that you have a lot of faith in other people and you support other people. Um I've been lucky to be supported by you. When you look at those people that saw something in you, so it's not a small thing. I mean, in all seriousness, that got the guy going from Newcastle to Edinburgh and, and calling you up to be a junior lecturer, or the guy who was on the, you know, the, the vendor side or what, you know, for, for Tesco, and they turned you down in terms of not you down, but the proposition down, but yet he saw something in you. And then the boss who's trusting you there is a trusting mm. what do you what do you think it is because yes there's a determination but you could have someone that's determined and they're going to fall flat on their face or you can have someone that you trust is going to be a good person but they're not going to necessarily deliver on something what do you think people saw in you I don't know I think I think um I hold a lot of sway by honesty you know, there's the, the some things that I know I'm not good at. I'm, I would never make a finance director. I'm not the most numerate person in the world. So what I've always said when I went into jobs, well, well, OK, it, as long as I can have the bandwidth to put around me a team that I know I can work with and we can support each other. Um, and I've always been... I've always been quite honest. I think this is a bit of a, I think it's a bit of a female thing as well that, you know, I, I've always said, you know, I, 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 are you sure I can do that? You know, <laughs> are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> you know, will it be all right? Um, that kind of self-worth thing. And I, I suppose to do that, I've always almost overcompensated by putting a good team around me and then being absolutely honest with them and saying, I mean, I remember when I first took over the, uh, the, the, the technical spot at, at, uh, at Tesco, you know, I said, got the team together and I said I can't do this on my own you know I, I think we can be absolutely great I think we you know we developed all of the private label brands for Tesco I think we can do this this is the vision but I can't do it you know I'll, I'll work as hard as you want me to I'll support you I'll do whatever you think's right but I need you you know and, and being honest enough to say 
I, I need you all and I value you all and, and it's not about me. Um, I think I think that's quite I think that's quite important. And and I mean, you know, I, I still think I mean, now I do a number of, of plural roles and, and, and still sometimes, you know, you go into a meeting and you think, can I do this? <laughs> can I really do this? Um, but it, that that there's something empowering about knowing that you've been frank with other people and you've kind of almost exposed yourself, but they're still willing to support you. Yeah. Not, it's not a sham. You know, you're not trying to wing it and be something that you're not. You've, you've told them you've had stuff out. And, and what I'm listening to, sorry to interrupt, it's not very good over Zoom ever, but um, one thing that really strikes me is, is a vulnerability. So, so people struggle with this word vulnerability in leadership. People say, oh, this leader needs to be more vulnerable. And the leader will look at you when you're trying to coach them and go, well, what does that mean? And do I have to tell them about my, you know, my worst nightmares? No, actually, what you've just described is a very good example of showing vulnerability without exposing your the core, your your personal, your personal bits, the bits that are really private and really sacred to who you are because I think that's what people always fear when you talk about vulnerability is am I going to be exposed but you're doing it on the level of saying this is what I can do this is what I can't do this is this is where my concerns are this is where I have a bit of self-doubt yeah let's pull together and do this yeah yeah and, and I think that's empowering for other people as well to to kind of understand that. I mean, it, it, it's interesting, you know, now I work with all manner of organisations, but probably one of the things that I like doing best is I work with a local university with their enterprise council, where they encourage young graduates to set up in business on their own. And, you know, some of the best ones that we've had through are the ones that are most insecure at the start. And you can kind of make them, make them believe in themselves by showing them the art of the possible. Um, you, you know, um, for, probably. I mean, there's, there's there's one there's one young lad that you know I, I'm I'm still in touch with. Not not a young lad anymore. He's a middle aged man, but um, he he was this university. It's the it's the Royal Agricultural University, and quite a lot of the students there are, are from quite wealthy backgrounds. This lad wasn't, and it was quite obvious that he wasn't. And um, when he came to the tutorials. Quite honestly, some days he looked as though he hadn't slept. He, you know, he 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 was all shabby. Um, he he wasn't really paying attention. He his business ideas were they're meant to come with a, a, an idea for setting up a business. They were pretty awful. Um, and we went through a few of these one to ones, and 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 I said to him, Charlie, you know, I'm not getting anything out of this. I don't feel as though I'm giving you anything. Um, I don't think you're getting anything out of it. So why don't we just call it a day? And uh, he burst into tears. And I thought, ooh, 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 you know, because the next one was waiting outside the door. Now what do we do? Now what do we do? Um, and I said, look, you know, we, I, I've got other folks to see. Yeah, we finish in an hour and a half. I'll meet you in the students' union bar. You know, let, let's let's meet and talk about it. And um, it ended up in a, in a bit of an outpouring that, you know, he was from he was from a, a broken home. He was actually funding himself through university. And, and when I said, well, you know, how are you doing that? 
he'd set up a little business where he was um, going round farms, catching vermin, catching rats at night. And um, that's why he always looked scruffy. He hadn't slept most nights. Um, and, and that's why, you know, the, the kind of lack of interest. And I said, how much do you earn catching rats? And he said, well, he said, I net about 20,000 a year. And I said, really? And how many people are doing that with you? He said, no, that's just me. So I said, we're going to do a rat catching business plan. And um, cut a long story short, he now runs a franchise business called Vermtech that, that has rodent control contracts across most of the county councils in the UK. That's fantastic. You know, and he's fantastic. And, and it was just kind of drilling down to the what can you do, what can't you do? And right. And what's really there, there as well? What's underneath it? What's going on? What's going on? You managed to get the what's going on bit. Because I think it's understanding people as a whole, isn't it, that really enables us to unlock potential and capability and possibility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and and with everybody, you know, I mean, we, we've all done it. I, I've done it sometimes. You'll, you'll judge somebody and you'll say something and then you'll find out later what the reason was why they were acting as they were. And you've, you, you're gutted because, you know, there's something going on in their personal life that you hadn't clocked. So it's it's back to that, you know, think before you speak and, and try and think what what might be the root cause. Yeah, but you gave him the space to explore that and understand that it, it was... Um... Which, which I'm sure he's very grateful for still. Um, but I'm, I, so that's fascinating. And I am fascinated by uh, the work you do now with youngsters. But what's also been going through my mind while you've been talking is what year were you in China? Um, it was just after the UK had given up Hong Kong. So it would be 1995 to 1997. That was a pretty, I mean, I went to China in 2001 and there was still a huge amount. And I went through, I, I traveled through some of the rural areas and there was still a huge amount of restriction and uh, policies I think we wouldn't be aware of in the West. Yeah. Now that was a few years before that, so it cannot have been an easy place to work. No, no it wasn't. I mean, I can, I can, two things that stick in my mind. Um, one, I used to have to go to the west of China to factories, and the only way you could go there was by train then. I don't know, probably different now. Um, and it was a military train, and it was one of these trains with the carriages, you know, that, the, that you close the door. So I used to try and find a carriage and then just sit down and read a book or pretend I was reading a book. And, and the soldiers used to come in and sit opposite and stare at me because, you know, I was a lot younger then. I had blonde hair and, you know, and I, I was, I'm tall. They just kind of couldn't believe what this thing was sitting in this carriage. And then one day they came and they had... Um, tea in 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 jam jars with a piece of string round and they offered me this tea which just looked like tadpoles in a jar you know? <laughs> and I was saying no thank you <laughs> but when they got a bit bolder they'd come in and they'd try and touch your hair you know and that freaked me out you know <laughs> yeah I, I found that when I went it was they they would literally just stare it was um and not 
it wasn't rude. It was just like, I've never seen a creature like you because blonde hair, blue eyes. And um, they, they, yeah, they just couldn't quite fathom where this creature had come from. Fascinating to be there then and working there. It is. And then we had to do some work in in Korea and the the translator that that I had um, was a young girl and her, you know, everybody has kind of, anglicized nicknames and her nickname was so beautiful and she was she was drop dead gorgeous she <laughs> she was lovely and and really good fun you know i mean we 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 used to have a real laugh um but at that time in korea again it's probably different now women were not allowed to sit at the board table and i was chairing this meeting so we were sitting in the corner with me chairing the meeting and her beside me translating and you know we waited for them all to come in and she said, you know, that, that they're all in now, Chris, we'll start. And I said, no, we'll let them wait. We're just going to have a conversation for a while. <laughs> let them down, we'll wait. <laughs> but we used to have no end of fun. <laughs> I love that. I love a bit of mischievousness. Um, that's fantastic. How amazing. So did your husband go with you to China? No, no, he didn't. Again, Tesco sent me to, to China because I had this idea. We were buying stuff through factors and agents and all manner of, of, of strange things, buying contracts unseen and, oh, horror story. And uh, I did a presentation to the board. Um, it was one Christmas Eve. I'll, I'll never forget it. And uh, and and they, they're saying we should set up our own office out there and do it direct. And at the end of it, they said, go on then. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, go and set it up. And I said, who? Me? And they said, yeah, you. I said, who is? They said, well, you go and start it off and then figure out what you need. And, and I went home to my husband on Christmas Eve and I said, I'm going to China. And he said, when? And I said, next week. And he said, how long are you going for? And I said, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, great adventure, great adventure. That's an incredible adventure, <laughs> really it is. <laughs> so in Tesco's um, for 16 years, did you say? 16 years, yeah, yeah, fan- absolutely fantastic. And then there's a little bit of a changing of the guard at Tesco, a bit of a change in, in culture. Um, and basically there were about 17 of us left at, at the same time, um, all on the operating board. And I, and I didn't know, I was probably the oldest because it was in effect my second career, you know, I'd been in academia for uh, 15 years. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do. One of my bosses said, um, oh, you'll have a lot of non-exec directorships and go that route. And, and another one said, no, you'll do consultancy because you like hands-on. And I suppose that was uh, that was 18 years ago. And I haven't, um, I haven't decided what I'm doing yet, but I'm full on. <laughs> Um, and, and it's a real, it's a, I'm privileged in that it's a real mixture of non-execs with, you know, four big PLCs. And then um, I chair a couple of little venture businesses as well. And then I do, I do a lot of pro bono mentoring work, which I love, um, and the work at the university and um, keep myself out of mischief. And, you know, one of these days I'll decide what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> So is it your, your, can you name any of the companies that you... Yeah, Coca-Cola European Partners. Um, that's a little one, isn't it? That's a little one. <laughs> a little one. Hilton Food Group, um, that's another global business. We do all of the 
uh, protein for Tesco and Arhold and Woolworths in Australia and lots of other businesses. Um, Zooplus, which is a German listed PLC that sells pet food online, pet, pet food and pet products online, that's in 29 countries. Um, and then Clipper Logistics, which is an e-commerce FTSE 250 logistics company um, that, that we do kind of all, you know, direct to home, pick and pack. Really those, those are the PLCs. And then I chair Oddbox, which is a lovely, a lovely little purposeful uh, veggie box business where we rescue vegetables that, um, that are wonky or misshapen that supermarkets won't sell. And we deliver them direct to people's homes. And that's, that's fabulous because I took that over just over a year ago and it was doing just sort of in the middle of COVID and it was doing 3 million turnover and loss making. And we're now doing 33 million and we're making a profit. You are joking. That is absolutely phenomenal. Brilliant. Well, brilliant. With a lovely husband and wife team running it who are are super. They, 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 they'd be real role models. They really are. You know, they... They absolutely breathe their values. They're, they're, they're superb, superb couple. I am. I love that concept. I always, I've always had an issue with the odd shaped vegetables getting put aside. I can't remember when it was. I think it started happening in the 90s, didn't it? Yeah, when, when we, everybody wanted perfection, polished perfection. You know, you spray wax on them to make them look better. And yeah, I've always, I think maybe because I'm odd, I've always liked the odd shaped ones and the ones. <laughs> a bit wonky <laughs> but it, it makes so much sense as well doesn't it doing something like that where you say let's take those ones that don't fit in the stack properly and they don't shine and they don't but they yeah. taste good yeah absolutely absolutely Box. it's a great name as well yeah it is lovely lovely business and that so the the people that you mentor because there's a whole there's a whole spectrum of people that you mentor as well. Yeah, and and it was something I was kind of interested in, and I looked in into you know should you do courses on coaching and mentoring, and I thought I I don't I don't want to do don't, don't want to do any more of that because because I have um, I, I've 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 done a law degree in my part because I got I had to get that out of my system, so I thought I don't want to do anything else, and and I said to a couple of people who who approached me, um, you know, can't, can't name them, but, but they're, they're, they're CEO level. And I said, look, you know, I'll help you if, if you think it would be useful, um, but I'm not gonna charge for it because I'd be a bit of a charlatan doing that. So l- let's just work together. And if it, if it works, um, then it's fine. And I'd probably get more out of it than they do, I think, um, just in terms of, you know, Bouncing ideas around, bouncing intellectual concepts around, problem solving, um, helping somebody pick an alternative route through. It's just, it, it's just interesting. You know, it's just fascinating, I think. And you think, gosh, you know, would you get the opportunity to do that normally? Of course you wouldn't. You know, brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, you know, we've, we've had a, a, a couple of sessions. I just think it's, it's magical wouldn't get to talk to somebody like you who's written books I mean good <laughs> day levels Chris <laughs> how many degrees have you got um three and a diploma <laughs> <laughs> well, what's keeping you 
Yeah. And then the the this the there's entrepreneurial piece within Cheltenham Agricultural College. Yeah, well, that's as much about just helping people, you know, if, if if they've got a dream, if they've got a vision. You know, I think with with new business startups, it's it's less about the idea because they're students and some of the ideas are, you know, not brilliant. It's less about the idea than the individual. And and you know, if they've got real passion they're prepared to work hard and they're prepared to listen. Um, we give them a little network of advisors, you know, some content advisors, somebody on the financial side, somebody on the business setup side, and um, kind of mentor them through that process. And I think, you know, that, that there's some of them who've just shone, usually not with the original business idea, but, but you know, the fact that you're, you're developing them Mm. individual that's that's the key part of it um and that they keep in touch which is which is superb that's fantastic it's so so rewarding and obviously i'm passionate about people developing <laughs> i just think i think there's so much potential in every single human being and the more we can unlock that in the more people the better yeah yeah i'm sure of that I'm sure of that. And it's it was interesting because the university, I mean, they've been very gracious. They made me a, a fellow a couple of years ago. And the um, some of the things at the, at the ceremony that students had, had written in were, were lovely. You know, the one I remember was one said, you know, Chris gives us tough love. <laughs> you know, you... you you don't necessarily realize what you're doing at the time you you just you know <laughs> doing as best you can with them really there's a huge amount of business wisdom and knowledge and experience and expertise and um the, the fact that you've been exposed to and operated in countries globally and you're still doing that means that the insights that you are able to give them go beyond taking them and developing them but actually gives them the context of the world which I know sounds funny but you if you think about it if particularly with the, the charity that I've been working with you see some of the children and their horizons are limited not because they don't want to try or they don't want to push they just haven't seen beyond the horizons maybe on the TikTok or Instagram but they haven't had someone to say these are the possibilities. This is the world that's out there. Yeah. But I do think it's a two-way street because, I mean, I everything that I know about e-commerce, those kids have taught me. <laughs> you know, somebody will come in and say, oh, I've developed this app and it does this, that, and the other. And I said, how does that work then? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I, I believe it is a two-way street. I believe that being a mentor... Uh, nurturing someone else's potential and capability gives so much back again and it helps you to grow like you say it's it's not necessarily a one-way process is you'll have skills and experience that they don't have but they'll have exposure to a different world again and that's how we we most naturally learn is through that social learning yeah but yeah we, we don't always have the because we've become so massive as a global population and we we now exist in so many silos. I don't think we have the exposure to different types of people and ideas and things that we would actually have done in, I don't know, a few hundred years ago even. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's the case. I'm sure that's the case. And and it's, 
it's very easy to learn without using people, but there's a special sort of learning that you get direct from other people's experience that's very different, very tangible, uh, very real. And I think some people don't, we see a lot of people, you know, particularly profiling, there'll be the successful CEO who still has a bit of a concern because he was told by a teacher he wasn't very good at maths. And that carries on and sits on his shoulder and the extent to which it can be slightly disabling. So there's this fine line, isn't there, between um, being humble and having something uh, enter as self-doubt to the extent that it can actually undermine your capabilities in something. Um, and I think that social learning, particularly for people that haven't necessarily flourished at school, is so important because it also provides a feeling of self-worth, self, so I can't say it, self-worth and <laughs> belief. <laughs> and it, when you're thinking about the, the people that had almost plucked you out and spotted you and seen what you were capable of, each of them had a belief in you. Mm. And that having someone believe in you is incredibly powerful because however confident we are, it feels feels nice, but it also feels like um, permission, I think, sometimes and comfort and impetus when someone else believes in you and someone else says, I think you've got what it takes. Yeah. And yeah. like you said, you might feel like you're letting them down then as well. So there's that added added pressure. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of an endorsement, isn't it? It's an independent endorsement, which is always good, yeah. Um, so what do you, I mean, you spend your week doing all sorts of different things. You've got different board roles, different size companies, helping these youngsters. What else do you do? Because I don't, actually, I don't know what you do for pleasure, for downtime, for um, if you ever have any. What, what sort um, of thing? I suppose that that's changed over the years. Um, I, I, I like doing up properties, so we've 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 moved and and done up properties, and and I'm the one that kind of that that kind of project manages that. So I like that. We've got another little project on at the moment. We're just converting the top of a, of, of a barn that we've got into a self-contained flat. Um, that and and travel. I've always been interested in travel, but not a lot else. I, you know, I, I must say I am a bit a bit of a workaholic. So I, I do. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I just through Kirby, I've made a pact with my husband. That I don't do any work on a Saturday. But prior to that, it was probably seven days a week. How does that fail not doing it on Saturday? Lovely. <laughs> it took a bit of getting used to. Um, and, and it almost had Oh, you'll you'll probably uh, know the reason for this, but it, it almost had a guilt feeling initially, um, but now it feels great. <laughs> it is interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, I could, we could go into the guilt, but I won't on here. Um, my husband said to me a couple of weekends ago, Fiona, I think you should just not work this weekend. You just have one weekend where you don't work. And it, I, I do find that I'm getting a bit fidgety because I keep thinking, oh, I'll just do that. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And it's quite freeing if you allow it to be. But I think if you're very much in the habit of working seven days a week, it can also feel a bit unsettling. You've got to do something. You know, you, you, you can't just do nothing. Otherwise, you'll you'll gravitate back to the study. You know. <laughs> yes. 
So do you, do you have any ideas about what next? I mean, you said when you grow up, you're not sure what you're going to be when you grow up. No, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, because I'm, I'm, I'm very old. Uh, you're not I, very old, Chris. I have my 70th birthday um, next week. I didn't realise that. Yeah, there you go. Um, I still don't think you're very old, but I didn't realise that that's... That. Uh, but I, the, the, the prospect of giving anything up horrifies me. So, you know, I'll carry on doing whatever as long as people feel I'm adding value is, is my view um, because I love it so much. So, yeah, just carry on going, carry on going. There'll, there'll come a time when I'm sure there's an age veto. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as, as long as I'm enjoying it and can and want to, you know, if I ever got out of bed and thought, oh, God, I've got that today. Um, that's the time to stop. That's the time to stop for sure. Yeah, it's fascinating and it's fabulous that you enjoy it so much. And it makes me think of my father-in-law who's, he's 78 and he was a fighter pilot. Absolutely just loves flying. And now he teaches pilots. Oh, wow. And he goes into so much depth and detail. It's very psychological, actually, the learning process. And he breaks down the, the flight deck. He takes photographs of it and then sketches it all to scale and does different buttons moving so that they can actually see it all. But he absolutely loves it. And I said to him, Pete, um, when do you think you're going to slow down? And he said, never. <laughs> and you know what? If, if people are enjoying what they're doing, why should they slow down? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's about feeling fulfilled and, and enjoying, I think. Yeah, for sure. So that was kind of a, a whirlwind tour of your incredible career and your really fascinating, interesting life. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. And I, I always enjoy talking to you and I enjoy our discussions on various things. And hopefully, well, not hopefully, I'm sure everyone else will have enjoyed this very much too and got things from it because I think there are your approach to how you've just got on with things and seen a way around and overcome obstacles and barriers and seen it as something of fascination and curiosity the, and also the humility of saying I, I don't know the answers and I can't do this and how a team works most effectively together um, and interestingly I'm working with an exec team at the moment brilliant individuals um, but it doesn't make a high performing team the high performance comes from people recognizing and seeing one another and their capabilities, which is what you're describing there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, almost creating a need. Need, need, needing each other. Need is a wonderful thing. You know, yeah, we're all very needy. <laughs> it comes down to a basic human driver, doesn't it? That need to yeah. belong and be part of something is a far more effective way of operating. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Yes, I'll talk to you soon. I, I will say goodbye and thank you for now. Thanks to my guest. Thanks to you for listening. If you want to find out more about me and my work, go to FionaMurden.com or my social media handle is also FionaMurden. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe, review and tell your friends. It would be a massive help. But for now, goodbye and I hope you have a great week.